Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for another edition of Terry's Talk, and it's David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined, as always, by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. Terry, big Guardians news today. Jose Ramirez has been signed to an extension. Fans have been griping about how the uh, Guardians haven't made any moves, and this is a big one. If you look at it, it's, it's going to take Jose through 2028. It's worth $150 million. They're still working on the final details. He's going to have a no trade clause and the, it's the, it's the biggest deal in team history. And I think it's uh, the last one that was comparable was Ed, um, Edwin Encarnacion for three years and 60 million back in 2017. Uh, big day for the guardians, isn't it? Yeah, really. This is, it's unprecedented because some of the other contracts, I remember Hafner signing something like for 40 million over a bunch of years and that, but nothing close. Uh, I like, you like a, if you're a Guardians fan, you like it for a couple of reasons. One, your team did something to keep a star. Secondly, uh, we often hear a player say, I want to stay, but the agent says something else. Um, the agent just says, bottom line, agent is thinking, I need to get a contract worth X amount of dollars so that I look good. Hence, you had Frankie Lindor signing for 300, not 340. 341 million, which was 1 million more than the long-term contract Tatis had just signed a couple of months earlier for San Diego, or even with the Browns where Watson's contract averages 46 million. Why does it average 46? Because Mahomes averages 45. I see no gamesmanship being played here at all in the deal where uh, Jose wanted to stay. I'm sure it hurt a little bit for them to give him the no trade, but you had to give him something. And I think that's pretty important because this is where he wanted to go. And then secondly, the deal was for seven years, not 17,000 years or not 10 years like Lindor, 12 years like some of these others. So that it, it's a deal that makes sense for um, both sides. And then really if Lindor, I mean, I'm sorry, if, if Ramirez is still a great player at the age of 35 and 36, he could probably hammer out, you know, three years, 90 million or something like that going forward. So um, I love it. I'm shocked it happened. I just didn't expect it. And, it, you know, it's a franchise that needed uh, this boost and he gave it to him. 
Yeah, and Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga, our colleagues who covered the Indians, they did a podcast today talking about how this could be kind of the, the foundational bedrock deal that sets the Guardians up to, to get this rebuild moving. All right, you've got Jose locked in now for seven mm-hmm. years, and now you can start building pieces. Free agents will see that he's locked in long term. That'll matter to them mm-hmm. you know, when, when the free agents start to uh, come back to Cleveland. Uh, it's really a, a notable day for the, not just for the team, but also for their fans in terms of, of just the big picture and feeling good about their team. Right. And it was a quiet move when I was out there, when they signed class uh, a to a 20 million five-year contract, but that's a nice deal too, to have this guy wrapped up. And then also they are working on something with Bieber. I don't know how that's going to go. Bieber, Bieber's agent is the football guy, Drew Rosenhaus. And I heard the first time around, uh, the two sides were not exactly talking the same language. That was last spring. But if I'm, uh, we talked about, I believe we mentioned this last week. If you're a pitcher and they start throwing a lot of money at you, um, you better grab it the first time because you just never know when your arm's going to go. That's the blessing about Ramirez. Now, you know, you, you never know for sure, but he has been, you know, very healthy. For as hard as he plays, especially yes. the helmets flying and the elbows yeah. whipping around when he's running and sliding into bases and he plays the game the same way every day and it's hard. And yeah, I wonder if that did factor into it is just he's in the prime of his career. This is some good peace of mind for him going forward. I bet that it's something to do with it anyway. Well, one of the things that happens is like when you sign a contract somewhere else for big money, you go to, uh, all right, when Dora goes to New York. They don't care what he did in Cleveland. He's starting fresh, and he's the $341 million man. So put up or shut up. And, you know, the last two years, if you were to add up Lindor's numbers, the last year in Cleveland with the 60-game schedule and then the following year with um, the Mets, he's close to 800 at-bats, and he's hitting about 241 with an OPS like 720. I mean, actually, Ahmed Rosario's had a better, better, better year last year than than Lindor. Then Lindor had 20 homers, but I'm not going to carry this out real far. But if I were the Mets, I would be a little concerned about that. And also the fans there, where now when you stay, um, you have a special place, you know, in the fans' hearts. Even Kevin Love went through a rough period. Now, you know, now he's coming off the bench. Because he and he did sign, and he's back in great graces with everybody. They embraced him pretty quick when he finally started to get healthy and play. And I mean, some people would go, "Oh, they're paying a guy thirty million dollars, doesn't even start." They're like, "No, no, Kevin. You know, Kevin's our guy. He was part of the championship team. He signed an extension. You know, he could have just totally quit on us. And here he is, part of this young team. Isn't it wonderful? And because that's what you get uh, when you have built." goodwill in the bank for your team and jose has that and i think that i think he's smart enough to know that yeah and i it's always to to see fans talk about what you were just talking about like when a player has signed a contract like that money is spent like it's going to be spent regardless of whether you have somebody coming off the bench or starting yeah the money's gone like the the player is going to get that money so you should maximize what they're worth to the team so it just kind of makes me laugh whenever i see that but um, yeah, you just want him to be productive in some role. And that's that's what Kevin did. And then on top of it, you like to see him engaged, which Jose's always engaged. And, you know, Kevin Love, when he's right, which he's been this year, is very engaged. 
and you know fans like to see that excitement and things from their players. Um, I'm I'm just really encouraged. You know, Paul Dolan made this happen after Jose became. First, they were kind of testing. I kind of did some little detective work here. Uh, both sides were testing. The, the Ramirez side wanted to see: Are you just going to do this so you can say we offered him a contract and he turned it down? You know, are you going to get serious? And the Guardians, especially Paul Dolan, do you really want to stay here? So if you really want to stay, we can't give you 10 years. We can't give you 12 years. We can't give you nine years. You know, it's the old line. I don't mind paying, paying for you and your kids or maybe even your grandkids to go to school, but I don't want to pay for, you know, the fifth generation. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, that, that old line. So uh, once they realized that, that uh, Jose was willing to, to just take a five-year extension and they were going to be able to work this out in seven years and that a no trade be part of it for protection for him. Then Dolan said, well, you know, it's about time. It's time to make a move. He needed, he knows the franchise needed to do something, something big, but not something stupid. Yeah. And it was, if you're a fan, it's really reassuring to see, you know, the guardians set a deadline of opening day. They won't do this after opening day. And so if it didn't get done today or by tomorrow at first pitch in Kansas city, it wasn't going to get done, but uh, Terry, before we move on, like the fans have had a love affair with Jose ever since he got mm-hmm. to Cleveland, just the, how hard he plays his production, um, the way he plays, the way he's carried himself, the fire he brings to the game. It's, it's an, it's an interesting story how he even got to Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, Paul Mirabelli was the uh, international scout. So I remember I called him. This is, I think, after maybe Jose made his first all-star team or something like that. And I said, I know you were like doing Dominican stuff. Where did you ever find this guy? He said, it's an amazing story. First, he goes, I'm going to send you something. He sends me a picture of this dirt diamond there and there's a donkey on it. And he said, now I did not see the donkey on this diamond the day that Jose was there, but this is the same diamond where he would play, he played on the back diamonds. He did not play on the better ones. You know, these kids are all 15 and that 16. And I forgot the name of the uh, Latino scout who was affiliated with Cleveland at that point, but he took Mirabelli goes, you got to see this little kid. And remember back when Jose was young, he was thin. He was scrawny, the scrawny kid. And he said he wasn't playing with the main teams. He was playing on this other team, like the, the B team. And he wasn't playing shortstop, which is where all the top Dominican players play. He was playing second base. He said, but he watched the double hitter and the kid went six for eight. And the next day he says he went back and he went like two for four or three for four again. So he said they signed him. The, the, the bonus is like 50 grand, which is pretty small because back then, um, a pretty good Dominican player, even back then, was getting $500,000 or more. Now they get over a million. And it was just a throwaway. And he said, had I not listened to the scout and I not gone to the back diamond where the donkey sometimes grazed, I never would have found him. He goes, and maybe, you know, probably somebody else somewhere would have because the word would have got around. But he was signed. And if you look from the moment he signed, he began to hit. And then the first time I saw him play, um, it was, I was watching a game with Mark Shapiro, who was the, the team president back then. And this is like 2011 or something. And, uh, it's, they bring in players who were in minor league camp 
and they brought Lindor and they brought Ramirez and together into an eight, you know, regular game, like in the fifth inning or something. Well, I knew who Lindor was, but I'm looking at this little kid at second base and he comes up and he slaps a single to right field. I remember there's a ball hit up the middle on Lindor and Jose turned his fast double play. And I went to Shaparo. Who is the second baseman? Who is this? Oh, he's Jose. We signed him, you know, we found him somewhere in the Dominican. And um, he goes, all he's done is hit since we've got him. And the, what they both show, too, at that young age, both have been about 18 or 19, is this poise. Because remember, they're in a big league game. I've seen some of these young guys come up. I mean, I forgot the kid's name that happened when I was out in Goodyear. They put him in. He walked, he got on base, he got picked off right away, you know, because he was trying to, in fact, Francona was talking about that after. He was thinking, I'm going to make an impact on this game. And I mean, he was wildly picked off. And that's, of course, what probably would happen to me if I ever got into a game like that. So those are just kind of things that, and, and then you look at, you know, there was Lindor who grew up in Puerto Rico and then moved to the Orlando area, I think where he's in junior high, played at one of those top teams, number one pick, signed for millions of dollars. And there was Jose off the back donkey island, donkey diamond <laughs> for 50 grand. And, the, and, you know, you look back right now, I don't think the Indians would trade Jose for Lindor. And I know the Mets would like to do that about 50 times over. Yeah, you got that right. And the interesting, other interesting thing about Jose, and you talk about that story when uh, he and Lindor were playing, you know, the phrase, uh, the moment is too big for somebody. Yeah. Like th there's never been a moment that's been no. too big for Jose Ramirez. Like he just, he just looks like he's in command of the game at all times. Like he knows what's going to happen. He, he, he knows how many bases he can take when he hits a ball. And uh, it's just, it's a joy to watch him play. He, he had a real bad second half a few years ago. And then it turned out he had that hammock bone thing that those guys get in their hands. Uh, and he just played through it. He just wouldn't tell anybody, but it's like, and remember his swing was all messed up and where he hit more hard fouls, you know, way out in front. But then we figured out, you know, why he knew he couldn't quite get around. So he was pulling the trigger too soon. And then he was all susceptible to breaking stuff and all those things. Uh, you know, he's a remarkable base runner. Remarkable. He's not that fast. And he hardly ever gets thrown out, whether he's taking an extra base or stealing. Um, it's just, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, he's some story. So, uh, so we got to move on, Terry. But one thing, you know, the season is opening tomorrow in Kansas City. First pitch at 410. And this is the time of year when, uh, you know, you wrote a really interesting column about uh, your sit down with Tito Francona when you're out in Arizona and just such a, a different vibe it is for him this time around with such a young team. I mean, it's the youngest team in Major League Baseball. And here he is a veteran manager. Um, I think he's going into his 22nd MLB season as a manager. How do you see him ma figuring out how to relate to these young players and, and get them to progress, but at the same time, winning is important to him. And, and also how many games you see this team winning? I guess we can get your prediction out of all that. Well, I'm at 77 wins now, which is lower than I thought when I went out there. And the reason it's lower is just that they are so, so young. They just are. And I, the thing that is their strength, which is their starting pitching, it's going to work. Everybody's pitching's messed up. 
because of short spring training. I kept seeing this pattern over and over again, both with the Cleveland pitchers and opposing ones who were pretty good starters. They get through three innings and they're getting shelled in the fourth or walking guys. It's like there aren't, this should be the middle of spring training. That's why they should be just getting with another two weeks to go. Another three starts, but for better or worse, here you go. So that's, that's why I, I have some there. And, and the bottom of the lineup is not particularly good. You know, a lot of the things you see. Uh, in terms of Francona, he's given a lot of thought to this. I mean, good, the good news, the other column I wrote is that he's in pretty good for, – for, as he said, for me, I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> and that doesn't mean – Yeah, what was his line? It's nice to be able to wear two shoes again. Two shoes, like, yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, all in passing – you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I had the hip replacement. That was a piece of cake compared to the staph, the staph uh, infection in my toe, which really got to be bad. I mean, very bad. They couldn't get that thing under control for months and months. And then he also, another thing he mentioned in passing is, you know, I have these stomach problems. I had to take care of some of that, too. There was some sort of, quote, procedure, unquote, they did on his stomach during all that time. Uh, he should write a medical book on himself by the time he's done with the um, <laughs> with this. But he was saying how you say, let the kids play. And he says, that's a good idea. He goes, but they, they have to play the right way. He said, but I can't be a guy who they feel is just waiting to pounce on them. That was his exact words when they do something wrong. Yet I can't just let it go. So he's really working with he and his coaches and how to teach and coach these guys to hold them to some standards. You know, he said, he goes, I don't want to see guys, you know, wearing headphones in the meetings. I don't want to see this stuff. You know, he goes, and some of these kids, they, they, they'll, they'll test you a little bit. And then he mentioned, uh, it was a fascinating thing. He talked about Steve Kwan, who, by the way, I do think will hit in the big league level. I think Kwan is, it's just so refreshing to see a guy doesn't, I remember Chris Antonetti told me about two months ago, he goes, he could play a week and not swing and miss. It's pretty close. I'm not sure I saw him swing and miss out there. I saw him call strikes. But there was an early spring training game where he was, Kwan's on second base. He failed to tag up to go to third on a fly ball the outfield. So the inning ends and Francona comes up to him and says, well, what were you thinking on second base? And he says, Kwan just like stares at me and freezes up. And I said, what were you thinking? And he goes, he didn't say anything. Then he, then he went back out in the field. So Francona was thinking, you know, part of why I just scream at him, why, you know, don't you, are you disrespecting me or what? But he waited till the next day and then he called him in and he said, uh, hey, Stephen, uh, I'm just wondering, how long did you play for your college coach? Quan was a big time player at Oregon State, which won a national title when he was there. He said three years. He said, did you like him? Oh, yeah, I love him. Did you learn a lot? I really did. He goes, how long have you played for me? Quan said, about 10 minutes. And they both laughed. He said, that's my point. He says, you got to understand, I'm going to ask you questions. I'm asking you questions so that we can learn together and get to know each other. And he said that opened a whole door of conversation. But see what he did knew then, if he had just continued down that road that first day, Quan was embarrassed about not tagging up and probably afraid he's going to get cut or who knows what. And then this way now there. So then later on, there's another game where I was at where I don't know why um, I think it was Texas. They keep putting three guys on the right side of the field. Like he's Jose Ramirez who pulls the ball. This guy doesn't pull the ball. So he has a bullet right into the 
second base and what, you know, where they had the ship going. So he comes off the field and this friend kind of said to him, Hey, uh, do you see all those guys over there? I said, yeah. I said, don't let them do that to you. Even the playing field. Sure enough, next time up, slap the base hit to left. The next game I saw him, they were doing that again. He got another base hit to left. And it's like, that's see, that's what he's got to learn to do. And as a manager and the players need to learn him. Yeah. And that's going to take some time. And I think, uh, you know, looking at your prediction, I mean, Terry Francona says this himself, April in Cleveland Ugh. is bad for hitters. Yeah. So they're going to, they, they don't have a great hitting lineup already. They're going to, they're going to be facing some cold weather. They're going to be dealing yeah. with, as you said, pitchers who are going to, it's going to be Tampa Bay Rays rotation every game. We, well, you have a guy throwing three innings, another guy mm-hmm. coming in for three innings. They'll be dealing with that. The pitchers getting in shape. And the other thing that the, the guardians have done traditionally is They'll, they'll give it a, a month or two, and if things aren't working, they'll bring somebody up from Columbus and try and get some new life injected into the lineup. But everybody, they brought up everybody up already. Like, all these young guys have already been brought up. So I'm well, I mean, that, what moves sort of like that. I mean, there yeah. are a couple of things they have down there. You know, one is, um, is uh, Gabriel Arias. Um, they really love him as a shortstop, or he could play second. Right now, they're going to give Chang a chance to win a second-base job, and I think they'll play – Jimenez more at short than they're going to play Rosario. Uh, secondly, they do like Richard Palacios, the, another outfielder, but they sent him out earlier, I think, just to get him going. He's a right-hand hitter, um, and so he's a possibility that could help maybe in the outfield. So those are the big two. You know, they talk about Valera, but Valera is a, Valera is a ways away, and, and some of these other guys. But you're correct. But as Frank Cota said, he goes – we're probably the youngest team in the major and guess what? We're going to get younger as the year goes along uh, because unless there, there's a unforeseen trade. Um, I mean, I would have liked to seen them make a move. I saw Meadows who just went to the tigers. I would have liked to see him bring in, they didn't have to bring in a lot, but bring in one more guy like that. But nonetheless, if, if, if the big picture this spring was to um, get, Ramirez done and they broke down Classe and maybe maybe Bieber or somebody else. By the way, I think they will extend this thing to the home opener, I may add, for these extensions. They don't oh, there you go. They, they, they will do if they're getting close, they'll do that. Yeah. <coughs> so it would be worth it. It would be worth it. It would so. it, it really will. Yeah. All right, Terry, let's take a break. Uh when we come back, I'm going to make a case for why the Browns Amari Cooper trade is looking better every day. I want to get your take on that. We'll talk some Cavaliers as they are kind of limping into the playoffs and what's next for them. We've got a couple of Hey Terry questions we'll get to, and uh, i got a good trivia question for you that's related to Jose Ramirez. We will get to that. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We are back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell with Terry Pluto. So, Terry, I want to get your take on this. My argument, every day that passes, the Browns deal for Amari Cooper is looking better and better. And I'm going to kind of give you some numbers here that explain what I'm thinking. So, so Stefan Diggs in the Bills today, Stefan Diggs is 29. He was going to be a free agent after the 2023 season. He was making $18 million a year. And the Bills and Stefan Diggs are working on an extension that will be $70 million guaranteed. It'll be four more years, which will take him through the 2027 season. And if you look at the top receivers right now, in terms of contracts, you got Tyreek Hill with the Dolphins. He's averaging $30 million a year. Devonte Adams with the Raiders is averaging $28 million a year. DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins with the Cardinals, $27 million a year. 
Stefan Diggs is going to be at $26 million when this one is done. DJ Moore of the Panthers, $20.6 million a year. How good is he? David, I know I'm interrupting because he's not. Yeah, he's pretty good. I don't love him, but. Yeah, I don't think of them like those other three guys you just mentioned. Well, they have to find a court somebody to throw them the ball. I think that's been okay. the big the big problem. But they like what they like what they have there. And then you get to Amari Cooper. So he is, as it stands today, the sixth highest paid receiver in the NFL at twenty million dollars a year. You look at some other guys: Christian Kirk, free agent, signed with the Jaguars for twenty one. Kenny Galladay with the Giants, he signed a deal in twenty twenty one for eighteen million. Talk about guys that you know that don't measure up to Amari Cooper, $16 million a year for Sammy Watkins. I mean, oh, how does he the, keep getting paid? It's the eighth I mean, he wonder keeps of the world. getting paid. I mean, I'm not saying he, he ought to be out of the league, but he keeps getting 15 million. He gets hurt. Yes. He, I liked him in the draft and a lot of people did, but within two years, you realize he's no superstar at all. Sorry. Yeah, he's, no, he's, it's okay. That's kind of one of my, I'm always in for the Sammy Watkins rant, Terry. Yeah, it's like, where did that, I mean, but, just how does that happen? So, but if you look at that, I mean, yeah. not just Sammy Watkins, but some of those other guys, and this deal is going to go down as one of the probably highlights of Andrew Barry's year. I mean, yeah, it was very, it, it's very odd when you think about these teams that made some of these other acquisitions here. Why they just didn't trade a third round pick for Amari Cooper and get him? Granted, he's only had only had one year left. No, I'm sorry, he has three years left in the contract. Although I'm not sure what the redo they redid it, so I'm not sure what those other years yeah, are. Yeah, so Was I think he signed through 2025 right now is yeah. what I have. So five years, 100 million dollars, and it start, He signed it in 2020, and it runs out after 2025. But remember, they just redid it, right? but I don't know what they did with those other years. Nonetheless, point being, let's just stay with your $20 million figure. Um, Cause they turned some, I know they guaranteed maybe a year or two. The, the thing is it's a great deal. And when, when they made, I, I was stunned. It was only for a fifth, especially when I saw the last three years of the contract, including this year at that point, were not guaranteed. I mean, it's exactly what you want. You got them on a, it's a healthy price, but it's one that is almost like he's on, three one-year contracts and what did you give up was a fifth round was a fifth rounder wasn't it yeah i mean the big the big exchange was the money was the it was the payment yeah they 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 didn't want him and then they you know so yes you're absolutely right uh and cooper is the one of the things that one executive said that sometimes he gets a bad rap in the nfl because he's not great they looked at him. He should be great. He goes, if you break it down on film where he should be great, there's just something slightly missing. He goes, but he's really good. You know, he dropped a lot of balls his rookie year. He has something like 12 drops, but that's gone away. Route runner. Good size. Good. Uh, he goes, he seems like a little passive personality. He said, but he's good. And he said, they, they just gave him to the Browns. And you know, why did people... somebody else come to the plate? I don't know, but great. Yeah, this this could work out really well for the Browns. And, and the other thing, a lot of people were saying, oh, the Browns should draft a receiver in the first round. And no. you know how it is. Anytime you jump from college to the NFL, it's a big adjustment in terms of how the DBs are playing you, how physical they are, yeah. how big they are, how fast the recovery speed is. Here you've got a guy who's in the prime of his career. Mm-hmm. It's been through 
a, a bunch of games against great defensive backs. He knows how to get open. Lance Risland, um, who does film breakdowns for us, did an entire breakdown on how Amari Cooper finds open spots, set guy, sets guys up with subtle movements of faking his head and shoulders to get them mm-hmm. to turn their hips, and then he comes back the other way. So I think you're right, Terry. He, he's he's good. He could be great, and I think the Browns are going to find this was a real bargain. So anyway, that was yeah, my and, little Amari Cooper. Exactly, and so, and so if he's only really good, so what? Instead of great. It's like you, you accept the player, and that also happens too when he when he gets picked up on a bargain thing. You go, oh, this is terrific. You know, it's just like I heard some of that about Jarvis. You know, when he came, oh, he just catches these balls, and you know, it's his possession receiver and that. And of course, he never missed a game. I'm like, I thought he was really good. And you know, was Jarvis great? No, but he was really good. I'll take him back now if he still wants to come back on a on a bargain deal. You know that he's still sitting out there. So we'll see how that plays out. But the, nonetheless, um, you're absolutely right. The price of receivers has these things going um, uh, in trends. And right now they're trending real up on the receivers. So that that was super. And it also leaves, which I've wanted them to do is for months, is to take a pass rusher and well, it would have been the first round. Now they have to figure out, you know, second round. That now that's a difficult thing. Because Watkins' deal will now come into play the other way, you know, not having that those picks next three years. So you have to. I think somebody wrote they have to try to find their own JOK in the second round again. Yeah, they're going to have their work cut out for them. But um, so Terry, uh, speaking of big contract news and finding their guy, I know you love to talk about kickers. So let's get into Chase McLaughlin. The Browns are bringing back kicker Chase McLaughlin who had a rough season last year. Now, this doesn't mean he's going to be the kicker for the whole season. I'm sure they're going to bring in other people to compete against him. But what did you think of the signing? And what do you think of where they're headed with this? And what do you want to see? I want to see another kicker. I want to, you could keep him too, but find me somebody else uh, that could come in and, and, and beat them out. And now with the bigger uh, taxi squads, they're able to keep a backup kicker on the, on that too. So, uh, but I would not just hand this guy the um, uh, the job because we saw it's, it's like April in Cleveland for hitters, November in Cleveland for kickers. And Phil Dawson will talk about that. You really don't find out about him until November and December. And we found out that Chase had lots of problems going down the stretch. So uh, I would love to see them bring in somebody else. I mean, drafting a kicker. I don't know. Um, A lot of these guys who've become pretty good kickers were actually drafted and cut. And it seems like it takes them a year or two to figure out how to kick in the NFL. So there might be another guy like that floating around somewhere, but they have to get one. Now, you know, they're playing for the, we've been saying playing for real, but they really are playing for real. When you've gone all in on Watson, and especially early in the season, if he is suspended, um, those three points are going to mean more than, than ever. And you better make sure that guy's putting them uh, up on the scoreboard. And you have been on the record. as This has been a big discussion uh, among our football insiders. By the way, if you want to check out what it's like to be a football insider, you can sign up by going to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a blue bar at the top. And you can subscribe to cleveland.com. You'll get our daily Browns newsletter. 
which we curate every day. And then you can also join the subtext group. But the subtexters were debating about whether the Browns should draft a kicker or not. You've been saying, just to reiterate, you don't like the idea of, of drafting a kicker because you're putting a lot on the on the shoulders of a rookie and you would like to see them get a veteran. You're still, that's still the way you feel, right? Yeah. A friend of mine um, who, uh, in fact, you know him, David, Larry Pantages, who used to work for the Beacon Journal, was my sports editor, sports editor there. His son, William, is the um, assistant athletic director and head of communications at Wake Forest. They have some great kicker there. I, I have to look up the kid's name, but he called me the other day and this was his guy for the Browns, the Wake Forest kicker. So you right. fans could look him up. I will look him up. But if he wants to come in as a free agent, fine. But I don't think I want to draft him. I'll look and see some other guy who was supposed to be a good kicker and then bring him in. But I don't want to see uh, – who's that guy, Joseph? Remember that guy they had in? And some of these other um, – probably Cundiff. Remember Billy Cundiff when they kept coming back? Cody Parkey, they're always around. Yep. It's only a matter of time before we get the jersey with all the kicker names on the back, right? Like the quarterback. I like that. Yes, they should. <laughs> we yeah, can sell the, those. The, the, Phil, the Phil Dawson Memorial jersey. <laughs> Just stack them one on top of another. Stack so. them one on another, yeah. All right. Hey, Terry, um, let's move on to the Cavaliers. Uh, been a rough stretch for the Cavs here ever since Evan Mobley went down with the ankle. Of course, they're missing Jared Allen. Um, with the broken finger, right? It's his, it's his, I'm trying to think is it's middle yes. middle finger, which uh, has know, kept not, him his out. His hand was like wrapped in a in a cast like a club. I mean, it wasn't good. Yeah. So the Cavs right now they're in seventh place in the Eastern Conference, 43 and 37. They're a game and a half ahead of Brooklyn for the eighth spot, and then you have Atlanta and Charlotte in ninth and tenth. And if you're wondering how the play-in tournament works, basically, if you finish seventh or eighth, you have to make one. You have to win one game to get in the playoffs. So seven plays eight, and the winner gets in as the seventh seed. And then the loser of that seven-eight game plays the winner of the nine-ten game, and the winner of that one becomes the eighth seed. So at the most, the Cavs would play two games next week if I have that figured out right. Why do you think it's been an important season? And also, how can they get out of this funk with all the injuries? And if you're J.B. Bickerstaff, how do you get these guys to kind of turn it around? Well, we'll start with the second one first. Supposedly, Mobley's going on this trip. Um, I forgot. Where are they playing, David? I forgot. Well, they're, they're going so Friday, to, they're at Brooklyn at 730. At Brooklyn. And then Sunday, they close it out at home against the Bucks at 330. But yeah, Mobley was on the plane going yeah. to Orlando, and he's not wearing a walking cast or anything like that or a yes. walking boot or anything like that so yeah that would help because um mobley is the best defensive rookie i recall period you know i mean i guess i have to go they always say tim duncan was the problem back then was we saw duncan like twice a year because he was in the west you play him twice um i just not, you know the better defensive players yes but and then when you when you put it into a 20 year old rookie big man defense that almost is like seeing a buffalo go down yukon avenue i mean you just don't it's like it's extinct and a kid that wants to defend uh so that's what they because the whole defense every their their whole preseason plan was predicated on the big lineup to play defensively. I'm watching the other night. There's Lori market out there with four guards. I mean, that's, that's what you're getting or Moses. Uh, what's his name? Moses Brown or whoever he is. Uh, uh, he's tall, but he is a G league player. He's played better than I thought he would, 
but he doesn't have the presence or anything. Like when they had Mobley and Allen and marketing, I remember early on, Mike Fratello telling me, he goes, they are a nightmare to run into in the regular season because they're so different. And JB Skeens are working with those guys. And then when you turned around and you had Okoro or Stevens in the backcourt, um, you know, those guys were tough. But now you, you look out there and there's marketing out there with Okoro and he's out there with, uh, with, with you have, you have, Dar- you have Darius and you have Okoro and you have Stevens and you have, uh, you know, Chetty or Dylan Windler, just these little guys running around. It's just not what they were meant to be because this is not a team that's going to outscore a, t- a bunch of opponents. So that's uh, basically you need you need somebody to go to words and get a healing. Uh, that's what you need for um, the playoffs. That said, what's the record again? They are 43 and 37. And who is the guy that picked that they would win 43, 44, or 45? It ain't me. I went for 30 and thought I was high at 30 and 52. That's um, where everybody was. Yep. Yeah. I mean, or less or less. So it was imperative this year that they get to a winning record without LeBron so that you could be building a team uh, the way you need to build one and that you could show that this is the way it's done and you're not waiting for LeBron or some other uh, free agent to just swoop in and save the day. And that, and they did it and they did it with, yes, Garland is emerging as an, as a, it's a real all-star now Mobley in a year or two, I think is going to be the best player on the team. Darius is right now. Jared Allen is wildly underrated as you, because this is a guy who shoots 70% from the field. He has the best defensive ratings of uh, defending things in that uh, uh, little circle area within six feet of the basket, better than anybody else in the league, except Rudy Gobert. Gobert is the only one who's better. So you put those three together and then, then you could build, you know, and marketing is a really nice player. He's better than I thought. By the way, let's give uh, Kobe Altman credit for that trade. Larry Nance for market. I didn't like it when it was made, uh, but you know, poor Larry just cannot get healthy and marketing. Um, he just fits. I didn't think he would have, he still needs to get a little tougher in that, but he's trying on defense. He's doing things he did not do with the bulls on that end of the floor. Cause he was known as a soft player and kind of a guy who would drift out a little bit if he wasn't getting the ball. And, um, no, he, he's very engaged, probably because he's got a better coach because over there they went through the same thing they did in Cleveland, firing, hiring coaches, changing systems, all this stuff. So um, I'm excited. As you can tell, my voice is I'm excited about them for the future. Um, they've got to you know find another uh, guard to help Darius, you know, but the Rubio. They would have won – think about this. They won 43 games without Rubio. I mean, he really would have – help them win. I think they're one close to 50 with them. I really do. I know that the war stats and all that stuff will say, no, that's not true. I don't care what that says. The eye test said they were phenomenal with him. And the numbers showed that, did you know, when he was hurt, the two players who had the best plus minus together in the entire NBA were Darius Garland and, and, and Ricky Rubio. And you saw love and, and those big men, they just thrived. And Rubio's out there like he's back playing, you know, in the Olympics where he was dominating everything. 
that was a shattering injury to this team. And I give them a lot of credit for really not totally folding then. Yeah, and, and they're still in the thick of it. And you know how it is once you get into the playoffs. But I, I am going to be really interested to see the next few days. You know how mm-hmm. it is when someone's hurt. Yep. They ask the player, how you feeling? They ask the doctors, can he do more damage if he plays? But yeah. if you're a rookie, you're young, you want to get back at it, you're a fast healer. Like, will Evan Mobley try to get back and play one or both of these games to help the Cavs kind of lock in a little bit in the playoffs and just to get his rhythm back? Or do you rest him? Does he want to rest and then come yeah, back? Yeah, you, you don't want a broken plan. That's, that's the one thing, David. These big guys, keep in mind, you don't want them where they start breaking bones in their foot. And so I don't, cause he has a, it's a sprained foot, isn't it right now? I think it is, or. Yeah, it was an, it was an ankle, right? Yeah. Ankle, whatever. Yeah. 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 And uh, so you always got to watch the big men with their feet. These are Junus Olgowskis theorem. As oh yeah. Bill Cartwright missed almost two years with that. There's a lot yeah, there's of a lot guys. That can go yeah. All right. We'll stay on basketball, Terry. I want to talk Cleveland state for a minute. Uh, the Vikings have a new basketball coach, Daniel Robinson coming from Iowa state and the, you know, when they were looking to hire somebody, they really wanted to find someone who brought a lot of what Dennis Gates brought, which is focus on academics, focus on winning, focus on maybe finding players who've been overlooked, maybe Mm -hmm. are playing in junior college for whatever reason. Uh, And Daniel Robinson has certainly paid his dues uh, as an assistant. And he sounds like he really has an idea of what he wants to do coming to Cleveland state. Yeah, the profile also was a guy that had a fair amount of experience um, at the mid-major level, and which actually Dennis Gates didn't have a ton of that. He had some, but not nearly as much as um, Robinson does. Robinson uh, is from uh, Rock Island, Illinois, which is right near the Quad Cities area, part of that on the Iowa border. Um, he went to Indian Hills Junior College as a player, then Arkansas Little Rock, and then he began his coaching career there and he got hooked up with Porter Mosier, who then made his name at Loyola Chicago. And now as a coach at Oklahoma, uh, they, they were together at Little Rock. Then they went to Illinois state together. Mosier as a head coach. He took young with uh, Robinson with him. Um, Robinson then later uh, coached at um, uh, Houston for a year. And then he coached at Illinois um, Loyola with, I'm sorry, Chicago Loyola with, uh, with Mosier. So they liked the fact he coached at Little Rock. He coached at Illinois state and coached at Loyola. Those are places that you, those are the kind of guys you're going to be recruiting at Cleveland state. Then he went to Iowa state, spent the last seven years there. He actually did two tours of duties there. And so, uh, and Iowa state was known for, I mean, they're, they've actually kind of overachieved over the years, but you know, it's not a, destination for elite basketball players they always kind of won more games than you think so when they were looking at this this is a guy by the way paid his dues as you mentioned you know he didn't he didn't come from the duke factory with mike krzyzewski giving him the blessing or any of that you know he came from the arkansas little rock factory with porter mosher and that's about it and so uh that they knew that he's got to be a guy that could find players and also at Iowa State, when the seven years he was there, now granted he was not the head coach, um, they uh, uh, he said only one player who spent whose eligibility was up failed to graduate. Um, so that that I think mattered because they do not want to get back into that funk they were when a couple of years where Dennis Felton came in and messed up all the academics and everything that Gary Waters had in place, and and of course uh, 
Dennis Gates showed that um, you can win at this level and you could win with good kids and they don't want to take steps back from that. All right. Well, it was, uh, and you wrote about this in your column today, but I think when Dennis Gates started, four players were left on yeah. the team, on the whole yeah. roster. And it seems like there was a really good turnout. I know that uh, two of the stars of the Vikings team the last couple of years, Des Moines Hodge and Trey Gamillion, both put their names in the transfer portal, but you yeah. said they were both at the press conference and they can always stay at Cleveland State if yeah, they want. They, so they, we'll they, were, they're now, out, they, they both put out tweets today. The, the amusing one to me was Des Moines Hodge. He says, well, I'm decoring for the NBA draft but I'm not hiring an agent, but I'm also in the transfer port. I'm like, Des Moines, you are not ready for the NBA draft. You know, and he's a really nice player in the horizon. Like he's a good player and he could probably play at a higher level, but please. So I don't know if these guys will stay or not. They're so, you know, they've looked at a couple of kids from Wright state that have gone to bigger schools and some others. So we'll see how it plays out. But I was, I had breakfast with, uh, uh, Daniel Robinson, and I was very impressed with him. I could see why they hired him. But just like when Dennis Case came in, he's never been a head coach anywhere. You don't know till it starts. So we'll find out, you know, late fall when they take the floor. Yep. And uh, Coach Robinson will be having a lot of meetings with staff, coaches, players, getting his staff yeah. together the way he wants. And so it'll be. I hope he does. Like, I hope he keeps uh, Drew Joyce the third, unless Drew is going to be going to uh, Missouri with, uh, uh, with, with Dennis, with Dennis Gates. But if that, you know, see Drew would be a really good person for him to help with the local recruiting. Um, and so, and, and Drew did a lot of recruiting for Dennis Gates. So that he's only been a, you know, he did an interview for the head coaching job. I think he'd only been a college coach assistant for three years. And that's not much work. By the way, uh, this is 22 years for uh, uh, for Robinson. And like Dennis Gates, he'd interviewed for other jobs before. He said five or six. I remember Dennis Gates telling me that. And I, I know one that he thought for sure he was going to get, Robinson did, was Drake, because that's right in that same area. But they went in another direction. Because really, when you hire a guy like this, you go, who is he? You know, who? Who is he? But I've learned a long time ago, you, you I mean, unless you have a Gary Waters walking through the door that you know, turned Kent into a winner, you don't know if these guys are going to be – even when Kevin Mackey got hired way back when. I, I was doing – I used to do baseball back then for the uh, the playing dealer, and the winner, nobody wanted Cleveland State. Sort of kind of like now a little bit. I would I picked them up, and I remember they hired Kevin Mackey. Oh, great. Some assistant from Boston College, you know, and he, he had the Boston accent. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to play well here. And it, it played great until Kevin kind of had his personal problems. But uh, so that's I'm, I'm anxious to see it. But is it uh, Scott, uh, Scott Garrett's the AD? He found Dennis Gates. He certainly deserves the uh, benefit of the doubt on this guy. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be an interesting offseason there to see how they assemble the roster and everything else. So are you ready for some Hey Terry questions? Sure. Here we go. This first one is from Rudy W. He says, hey, Terry, if Deshaun Watson is unavailable for the early season, why would the Browns go with with Brissett when they are paying Mayfield $18.5 a year or for this year? Mayfield is much better. We won't give him away, and we need some wins until Watson can play. This is an opportunity to showcase Mayfield, who would be motivated to prove himself. It could enhance his trade value, and we clearly have a better shot at winning with Mayfield over Jacoby Brissett. 
Awkward? So what? These guys are professionals and getting paid ridiculous amounts of money to <laughs> shut up and pass. Hurt feelings? These are football players and they should play. So there's Rudy's take. What do you think of having Baker Mayfield start for the Browns during Deshaun Watson's uh, impending suspension? The one, some of the stuff he says is correct. You know, the hurt feelings, your pro shut up and play, et cetera. Um, the problem is he's, he's the quarterback. When you're a defensive lineman or whatever, it's de- he, this is the leader of the team. And if he's not fully engaged in everything else, I just think, it, first of all, it's not going to happen. That, that's why they signed Brissett. Um, and sec- and also Brissett, I think, will run more of the type of offense that they're probably going to run with Watson, too, I may add. But it, the Browns don't like to hear this. But whether they got Watson or another thing, they didn't handle this right with Baker. They just didn't. Yes, they told him they would be looking at a different quarterback if he's better. But they thinking that they could all go fly out to this, you know, meet and greet with Watson and nobody's going to report it and it's not going to get out. That took, and Andrew Berry admitted, a 10-minute phone call to it to Baker's agent. Now that's the only thing, but I would have expected that if I were Baker, that that would be done, you know, and secondly, I just think you brought this up too in the other podcast, David, what's coming up in the NFL. Nothing until June. <laughs> no, the draft, the draft. Oh, the draft, right. In terms of when they yes. might move. Yeah. Yes. You brought that up because I, I forgot. So if I'm sitting, I'm in Seattle or somewhere, I may just kind of sit there let the draft come and then I make my move. You know, what can I get? Can we play with some picks? Uh, so right now there may not be much action, but I mean, you're still, I mean, am I really going to play Drew Locke if I'm Seattle, if I could get Baker? I mean, I would want them both. So let's see what happens, but I just don't see that happening here with uh, Baker. Yeah. I thought you were getting at what's happening with Baker in the near future. Yeah, he, he won't get fined for everything is voluntary until June, until mini camp. So that's yeah. when he would start getting fined and, for not showing and see, up. That's another thing. You want your quarterback to go to these mini camps. Um, you just do if he's going to be on your team. That's because I remember it's a different position. It just, it, it's the most unique position in team sports. All right, we got one more, Terry. This is from longtime listener and frequent question asker Paul Cosgrove of Stowe. It's not a Browns question, but it's related to the Browns, and it's more about your take on Lamar Jackson, whether you think he's long-term in Baltimore. Um, are the Baltimore Ravens having second thoughts about signing Lamar Jackson to a long-term deal? It seems like they're dragging their feet. I've always thought Jackson was a punt returner trying to play quarterback. Well, I would argue with that, Paul. League (laughs) league MVP. Um, He's exciting to watch, but he's not going to lead you through the playoffs. What do you think? Well, first of all, he's led him to the playoffs, but he's not going to maybe win a Super Bowl with him. But how many of these guys will you win a Super Bowl with? Yeah, Um, Paul said through the playoffs instead of through the playoffs. So I might have read that wrong, but just to clarify for Paul. Yeah, you're doing Paul dirty there. You got to help him a little bit. But here's here's what happened. Remember, there's sometimes a game within a game. The Jackson family fired their agent about a year ago and have taken over the negotiations themselves. And it's sort of like, who's going to do it? I think, I don't know whether they have a family lawyer or what, but here's the other thing that happened. What happened in between all that? What, what has happened to the price of quarterbacks? Up and up and up. Because of? 
all these guys who are signing because of Mahomes and Allen and Deshaun Watson. What that is the biggest one, Deshaun Watson. I if I want to be Jackson's agent, I'll walk in and say, "All right, we're laying this down here. You tell me how this guy won more games than my guy. Now maybe analytically this guy's better and all that, but you tell me who's been better for this and." I want a start negotiations. We're talking five years guaranteed, and I want 250 million. And that's probably where the family is. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I would be there, you know, see what they want to come up with because, um, and remember, we've discussed this before. I don't care how much money Jimmy Haslam pays. He just got an $11 billion with a B dollar deal from Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett for Pilot Flying J. I do care what these things do to your salary cap. And so that's probably an issue there. And I don't know what the cap looks like in Baltimore. I've not looked at generally, they've been fairly high on their cap. They've not, you know, they've, they've kind of bumped up against the, uh, the railings. So. That's that's where that, but I think that's why is it had a family taking it over. Maybe they're going to hire an agent, and then on top of you, as you mentioned, the other contracts which are huge too that have gone to quarterbacks. But the Deshaun one has sent everybody reeling. Yeah, and that's a great point, Terry. The the guaranteed money changed the game in a lot yes. of ways for future quarterback contracts, and we'll see how that all works out. But you know, everybody's got their opinions about Lamar Jackson, but I'm going to say he is probably one of five players in the whole league that keeps defensive coaches up at night. Oh, sure. They are they can't sleep because of him. You have to you have got the game plan to stop him, and you do not see many players that come along very often like that. And Lamar Jackson has an MVP award to prove that. So that's my, everybody can have their own opinion on Lamar. And David, I, I know some people very well with the Ravens because they're people that were here. Uh, And in terms of his leadership, uh, all that intangible stuff, he's got it. He had it from the moment he walked in the door. And that's why they were willing to a, move up in the draft to take them to begin with. They, they were drafting athleticism, but also intangibles. And secondly, while they were willing at midseason, remember, to put him in and revamp the whole offense during a bye week to make it fit because they believed in him. They also believed in him as a person. Uh, and they thought he could f- keep working and working on his throwing and the other stuff. And he's won a ton of games there. And will continue to do so. So, all right, Terry, I have a Terry's trivia question. All right. That is related to Jose Ramirez. And uh, I've got a this, is a, this is a good one. You'll get it. All right. So Jose Ramirez has 163 career home runs. Hmm. He's tied with 12th on the Guardians slash Indians franchise list at 163. He and Ken Keltner are tied for 12th. The number 11 player who Jose will be chasing has 190 home runs. And he is a player that you have written a book about. Who is this player who is number 11 on the all-time Rockies run list? at 190. Rocky huh? Calavito, 190 home runs for Cleveland during his career. So Jose yeah. Ramirez needs 27 to catch him and move into a tie for 11th. So you got it. There you wow, go. That, yeah, well, you gave me the big hint. Otherwise, Ken Kelton at 163, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the top three, for those who might be wondering, Jim Tomey with 337. Albert Bell, 242, and Manny Ramirez at 236. So there you wow. go. And that wow, is that's... Terry's trivia for this week. 
you know, Keltner's name, I found that because I was looking up something else on Bobby or Bobby Bradley in his first 20 games with the Indians when he came up last year. That's why I used that. He had eight homers and that tied with several other players for their first 20 games of the season, most homers. But the guy that was first, Kenny Keltner with 12. Really? In 20 games in 1948, which, you know, you don't think of him as having power. So I remember he used to be with the, um, he had like a part-time job with the Milwaukee Brewers. And he, I think sometimes did some broadcasting, some scouting, and he would always like be just sitting in the uh, press room before games. This is like in the eighties. And I remember I went over and talked to him because it's like 48 innings. My dad, you know, worshiped the 48 innings and Keltner. So that was always cool. And he, very nice guy, but more homers than I ever thought. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Uh, hey, if you want to hit us with a question, you can catch Terry on his Facebook page. Or if you want to email one to us, you can send it to sports at cleveland.com. And then just put, hey, Terry or Terry's talking in the subject line. We'll try and get it on next week's podcast. So, Terry, anything you want to talk about? Any books uh, you want to mention? Or You can know. always buy vintage Browns, vintage Cavs, or anything that says vintage and Pluto there. But that's about it. But nothing no appearances or anything yet. So, and those all available at terrypluto.com, right? Yep. And Amazon and the rest. So. All right. Sounds good. Listen, everybody, have a great week. And we will catch you next week on Terry's Talking.